All right, thanks, guys. Time for the kids to come on up and have a seat here. If you're about fifth grade or so and younger, you can come on up and have a seat. Feel free to bring somebody along with you if you'd like. All right, come on up, find a spot to sit. Hey, guys. Good to see everyone this morning. All right. So to start with this morning, I have a picture to show you. And I want to know, who knows these kids? Anybody know who they are? You know who they are? Probably not, because I don't even know who they are. <laughs> this is a picture I got off the internet. So I don't know these kids. I didn't think you would. If you do, that's pretty good. All right. Now think with me for a minute. If these two kids walked into church, how would you treat them? Do you, do you think you would just go over them? Do you think you might say hi to them? Do you think you might go over and talk to them a little bit? Get to know them? Well, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, in the Bible it says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. So we have to show hospitality. Pastor Jeremy talked about that at the beginning of the service, right? Hospitality means we're, we have kind of a friendly reception. We treat people friendly, and especially guests or visitors, people we don't know, right? The Bible kind of emphasizes showing love to strangers, to people we don't know in a good way, all right? So hospitality means we're going to treat people that we don't know, especially people that we don't know, we're going to treat them friendly, okay? Now, if we were to show hospitality if we're going to be friendly to these strangers, these boys and girls who walked in, what might that entail at church? What might that look like? What do you think? Okay. Any ideas? What might it look like if you're going to treat people friendly as they come in? Okay, you're going to love and respect them, and how would you do that? Yeah, you could be kind to them, Yeah. Yeah, you're going to be kind to them, right? So if, there's, if they walk in and you don't know them, you might go say hi. You might talk to them. You might help them to find a place to sit, right? You might sit and get to know them a little bit better. You might tell them a little bit about our church. Those kind of things would be nice to show hospitality, right? Now, where are places, where are places that you can show hospitality? Where are some places you can treat people nicely? At church, yeah. Where else? At home, yep. If you have people over to your house, you can show hospitality to them. In a restaurant, yep. You can show them to your room, yeah. Show them all the neat stuff in your room. Anywhere, yeah. There's lots of places we can show hospitality, right? Maybe even at the park or the playground. Maybe if you're in Awana and there are new kids who come to Awana, you could show hospitality there. In cubbies, yeah. Why do you think it be? Why do you think it's important that we show hospitality? Why is that important that we show kind treatment to people that we don't know? Why do you think we should do that? Any ideas? Go ahead, Ethan. Yeah, it helps you have a better relationship with other people around you. Yeah. Other ideas? Why should we show hospitality? You have to be kind, to show them God's kindness, right? And show them his love, right? It's, we can obey God in doing that because he tells us to show hospitality. 
Yeah, we can be thoughtful towards others. It might even give us an opportunity to share the gospel with them, to tell them about how Jesus died for their sin and rose again, right? And we glorify God when we show kindness to strangers, to people we don't know. So do you think that you guys can show hospitality? Can you treat people you don't know, like if these two kids walked in, do you think you could treat them nicely and kindly in all these, at church and all these different places? I bet you can too because you're a great bunch of kids. All right, so let's remember, when we meet people we don't know, we can be kind to them and show them hospitality, okay? And we can glorify God in that. Thanks. You can go back and have a seat. All right. Thank you, Pastor Jeff. It's a good introduction to what we're going to be talking about today. I'm going to be mainly in Genesis 18 this morning, uh, but I'm going to read Hebrews 13, 1 to 2, and then also uh, Genesis 18, uh, 1 to 8. So Hebrews 13, 1 to 2, I'll read first, and then Genesis 18, 1 to 8. A little bit more. I want to draw your attention to the sermon notes. I've changed them a little bit, provided just a little bit more info on each of the main points. You can check that out. And at the bottom of each of the uh, sermon notes, it lists what we're going to be doing next week for those of you who uh, like to get ahead. All right, so uh, Hebrews... 13 and then Genesis 18. Here's God's word. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And then Genesis 18, 1 to 8. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant." Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, while I bring a morsel of bread, that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seas of fine flour, knead it, make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set them before them. And he stood by them under the tree while, he, while they ate. And then verse 16. Uh, then the men set out from there and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them and set them on their way. Let's pray. Father, with our whole hearts, Lord, we cry to you. We want to keep your word. We want to observe your testimonies. We want to meditate on your promises. To your, hear our voices according to your steadfast love and give us life according to your eternal word. Amen. Uh, I was going to do these two sermons in the summer and then decided to delay as a sort of preparation just before we moving to the, the church. That's what I want these sermons to do. I want you to use them thinking about moving to a new building. We'll likely... Um, God willing, have a bunch of visitors. And so I want to use this as preparation and motivation for you that we are found to be very hospitable. I think we do well at this. And so don't hear these two sermons as a rebuke of something we're bad at. I think largely we are 
fairly, uh, we're hospitable, we greet people well, I think we can do better. So I want to strengthen what is good, that's the purpose of them. Now I'm glad I delayed because it happened to be, I don't know, this is probably two months ago, I listened to some podcasts, one I, one I listened to is on a series of books and I was listening to some podcasts on Harry Potter, I don't know. And uh, during the podcast, he referenced a sermon that his pastor did on hospitality. And so I emailed him because he didn't tell which sermon it was. And he sent me a link to the sermon. It was on Genesis 18, on this text. And uh, the pastor's name is Tim Bailey. I'd encourage you to check out this sermon. On, on, and he, he talked about how if you read modern commentators on Genesis 18... They don't draw out what old dead commentators from Europe or wherever do. And if you read, like I read John Calvin on this, and I read Martin Luther and a few other old dead guys, and you know what the two main things they bring out of Genesis 18 is? Hospitality, and then Sarah's example of a godly woman that Peter references in 1 Peter 3. Those are two main things. Modern commentators hardly touch on hospitality and hardly touch on the godly womanhood thing. I think the godly womanhood thing is because that's a taboo in our culture. And I think the hospitality thing is because our culture, American Western culture, is not very hospitable. And we don't see, we just don't see it. And so what I want to do is I want to take some time and draw out for you Abraham's model of incredible hospitality. Uh, John Calvin called uh, this text, The Hospitality of a Holy Man. That's where I got the sermon title from. So, a little background to Genesis 18. Just before this, Abraham is promised the birth of a son at a very old age. Then the Lord comes. So we we read in Genesis 18.1, you see the word Lord there is in caps, all caps. That's the name of the Lord Yahweh. And so here we see that God has come to Abraham. Now, Abraham doesn't know it. Abraham just thinks these are three ordinary guys, but we've just read in in Hebrews 13 that these were angels. So we have two angels and God. Most think, I don't know most, many think that this is uh, Christ coming. This is one of the Old Testament um, times when Christ has come. There's, There's a few others, but so... Here we have the Lord and two angels coming, and they come to verify the promise that he gave just before and to let Abraham know of coming judgment on Sodom where Abraham's nephew Lot is living. So these three appear to Abraham. Now just a little bit about Abraham. Abraham is a wealthy, 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 wealthy man. He's rich. He's a fat cat. Uh, He is lord over a vast amount of servants and property and cattle. He's older here. We read in 1724 that he's 99. So he's an old, fat, wealthy guy. Very high sitting on his stool at about 2 or 3 in the afternoon at the hottest part of the day in a very hot part of the world. Just keep that in your brain. That will, I think, bring out all the more 
the kind of hospitality Abraham offers that, and he doesn't have a clue who these guys are. These are just three strangers on a journey who show up at his door of a wealthy, fat, old man, and it's 95 in the shade. So that's Abraham. That's what's going on. The visitors, as as we know, show up, and let's look at Abraham's hospitality here. So there he is, heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked. Maybe he was snoozing. He was in his lazy boy and heard a noise, and there's three guys. And what does he do? He runs to meet them. This wealthy, fat guy in the heat of the afternoon, three visitors. He gets up and he runs to meet them. How undignified. He runs to meet them. Then, he doesn't only run to meet them, what does he do next? He bows before them. He shows them great honor. So a wealthy man, prosperous man, a to-do man, an elite man, he runs to greet his visitors, and he bows before them, and he calls them Lord. Such humility. And then he begs them, for the favor of serving them. If I have found favor in your sight, don't pass me by. Now, if you have three visitors show up at your door after a long day work in the heat of the afternoon, what do you cite me as? How do you evaluate what is right before you? Abraham is looking at it like he just got an unexpected gift. Like Christmas has come in July. He sees opportunity. I, honestly, as I read this, I see inconvenience. I see what can I do as little of in order to get rid, them, rid of them as soon as. Right? Not Abraham, though. He sees privilege. He sees an unexpected gift. And he's wealthy. He's begging them for them to not pass him by so that he can serve them. Please, don't leave. Let me have the honor of serving you. Now, I don't know about you, but in America, especially with the, if you're wealthy, of higher station or higher education or something like that, we don't beg people for the honor of serving them. We don't even speak to them because it's an honor for us to be in their presence. That's us. And here's Abraham, this wealthy old man, heat of the day, running to them, bowing before them, calling them Lord, great honor, and begging them, don't leave, just sit a minute, just let me serve you. If that already isn't convicting to you, that kind of hospitality... I have been to Africa, I've been to Indonesia, and they uh, do hospitality something like this. They are eager for it. I was in Indonesia during Ramadan, the Muslim feast days, and they know, well, they can see that I'm white, and so I'm probably from America, they would evaluate. 
And they would then think that if I'm American, I'm Christian. And everybody that you meet there would invite you over for Ramadan feast. Gladly, eagerly. When's the last time you invited somebody over for Easter like this? Much less a Muslim. You've all been following this caravan coming from Honduras, right? And we're white conservatives, and we take Fox News' line on this one. We get mad, and we get upset, and blah, blah, blah. No, I'm not for illegal entry. But let's say they end up coming into our country, and they live in Rhinelander. You going to invite them over for Easter? Are you going to guffaw, oh, they came illegally, we can't have them over? These are strangers. Abraham has no idea who they are. He's a wealthy man at the hottest part of the day, and look how he's acting. It's kind of hospitality. Then notice what Abraham says. Verse 5, sorry, verse 4, he... He says, just let a little water be brought. Let me wash me, just rest yourself, and I'll just bring you a little bite of bread, just a morsel, just a piece. Tim Billy in his sermon says, Abraham does really well here because Abraham under-promises and then over-delivers. I don't know if he's lying, but he doesn't intend to just give them a little water and a little piece of bread as you see later, right? He... Just, just, just sit a minute. Let me just get you a little water. We'll wash your feet. We'll give you a little bite of bread. And they consent. Do as you have said. This is a good lesson on hospitality. Try to go above and beyond. You'll see that Abraham frequently. He, he goes the extra step. He takes the extra pains. Now Abraham... After they say, do you said, he goes quickly, verse 6. You'll see this again. Verse 7, he runs... Abraham takes it upon himself to make sure that the kind of hospitality his household offers is excellent. He prepares everything and he does it quickly. He doesn't delay. He doesn't take his time. Right? He runs quickly to Sarah who's in the tent. Right? She's managing her household. She's keeping her household well. She's in the tent. He runs in there. Sarah, find flour. Get the good stuff. Three strangers again. It's it's not time for frozen pizza. (laughs) Uh, I think sometimes if you're inviting people over last minute, have frozen pizza, that's fine. These are strangers. Sarah maybe has been, you know what it takes to make flour? And she made some especially good flour. I want you to use that flour, Sarah. I want you to make the best bread and cakes you can make, Sarah. Sarah. Then he runs from there to the herd. He himself selects out the best calf, tender and good. Doesn't that make you hungry? Right? Filet. And he gives it to a young man who prepared it quickly. You can imagine Abraham urging him on. Cut this up. Get the choice. Get it on the grill. Let's go. Guests are waiting. Then he takes curds and milks the catheter bread, and set it before them. Who's doing the serving? Abraham has servants. If you read Genesis, he's got servants coming out of his ears. Who does the serving? Abraham. He sets it before them. You know how humbling that is? 
Right? He could show off his wealth by sitting down at the table and having servant after servant bring in the water and the wine and the bread and the curds and the milk and the meat and show off his wealth. He doesn't. He makes sure everything gets prepared right. And then he goes to the tent and brings out the curds and the milk. And then he goes back to the tent and brings out the bread. And then he goes back to the tent and brings out the meat. He serves. The guy. This is one of the funny things. In our feminist age, we constantly hear, right, well, the reason the Bible talks about the way they talk men and women is because back in that culture, that's what it was like. Except when you read this and you see a man serving. <laughs> don't, don't let feminists lie to you here. Abraham is serving. Then what does he do next? He doesn't sit down and eat with them. Look what it says at the end of verse 8. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. <laughs> what, what is he doing? He's waiting on them. He's their waiter. Need some salt? You see, you need your glass refilled. Let me get the wine. Want some more meat? He's watching over them, making sure their needs are met. He is diligently caring for them. He is putting their needs before his needs. He's standing by. Well, they, This is what I love about God's word. Doesn't it fill out for us this picture of hospitality? It gives you every detail. You can see it. They're sitting underneath the oak in the shade. Abraham's already had a long day. He's old. He's wealthy. And he's standing, waiting for what needs to be done next. It gives you these details. You've got to pay attention to these details. Why is he giving these details? Because he's painting us a picture of kind of Christian biblical hospitality. It's his service. And then in verse 16, the men set out, and look what it says. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. He walked them to the door. <laughs> Have you ever guessed over? I've done this. People show up and I don't get up off the couch. People are leaving and I say goodbye and I sit back down on the couch. You do that? Abraham not only does everything we've seen, at the end of it, he walks with them for a while to see them off. Again, we're, we're talking about a wealthy, highbrow, old guy in the heat of the day. Right. And he, at the end of it all, after running to greet them, after running around getting the meal prepared after serving them. I'm sure he's tired. It's hot. He walks alongside them to see them off well. From beginning to end, this is exemplary hospitality. Can you imagine being those men and receiving that kind of hospitality? What would you think of Abraham and his household? What would you think of a believer? What do you think of a believer? 
You remember the Boston bombing? The Boston Marathon bombing a few years ago? Uh, the two brothers, I think Zarniev's, e- evil guys. One of the things that I read during all of that, and this is not excusing their evil at all, they said that they came over here to America and they lived in an apartment complex. Not one American invited them over for dinner. And it was unthinkable to them from the culture they came. That's our culture. We don't invite strangers over, much less treat them like Abraham treated these three visitors. This is great hospitality. I say, I don't do this. Do you do this? We don't do this. In the New Testament, Abraham, it doesn't ever reverence my name, but we read it in In Hebrews 13, he is picked up as the example for us as believers of hospitality. In Romans 12, 13, pursue hospitality. What do you think that's thinking of there when Paul writes that? Pursue it. Go after it. Run to it. Look for it. What do you think he's reflecting on? Oh, it's got to be Abraham in Genesis 18. Abraham runs to it. Read in the time of confession, 1 Peter 4, 8, 9. Be fervent in love. Do hospitality without grumbling. Who do you think Peter's thinking of when he writes, do hospitality without grumbling? He's thinking of a wealthy, old, fat guy in the heat of the day that doesn't grumble about it, but receives it excitedly as a gift. And then Hebrews 13, 12, love the brothers. How? Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. You might be entertaining angels unaware. That's not saying that you'll actually entertain an angel. It's just saying, look at what Abraham did. He is the example for believers for hospitality. He is our example as believers of hospitality. And just let me walk through a few texts concerning hospitality. In in Matthew 25, this is Jesus just before the cross. He talks about at the end of time, when he returns, he'll divide, he'll judge humanity based on whether or not they believe in him. And he says to the believers, come on in, here's your great reward, for when I was naked, you clothed me, when I was hungry, you fed me, when I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. You remember that? And then the believers say, when did we see you naked and clothe you? When did we see you hungry? And feed you. When did we see you in prison and visit you? What are you talking about? He says, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. Remember that? And and then he welcomes them into great reward for a meal, for a cup of water, for a jacket. Jesus is talking about the unthinkable, gracious reward of believers for simple practice of hospitality in Matthew 25. In 1 Timothy 3, a requirement, a qualification that qualifies a man to be an elder is hospitality. The office that men are to aspire to, the office that is given this responsibility to shepherd the church, to oversee God's people, the the biggest responsibility one could have in this world, a requirement that qualifies a man to do that is hospitality. 
in 1 Timothy 5, Paul gives teaching on how to care for widows in the church. They, they had a system where if you were a widow, a Christian widow, you could get on a list that, that provided care for you. A widow could be placed on this list if she didn't have any other family who would take care of her if she was all alone. A widow could be placed on a list and she could get financial help and food and uh, help taking care of her home and whatever. But you know what the qualification was for a woman to be allowed to get on that list? If she had practiced hospitality to the saints before in her life. If she was not a hospitable woman, she would not be allowed to be included on the list even if she needed it. In Ephesians 4, 28, it says that we should each work with our own hands to provide for ourselves and be able to practice hospitality for others. God gave you the gift of work to generate an income so you can provide for your own needs and invite somebody over for a meal. Just think about the end of time. What is the first thing we will do when Christ comes back and we dwell with him on this earth, what's the first thing? God sets a table and invites us over for a meal. God's serving us. That's what we do every, when we do the Lord's Supper. We are practicing getting ready for the day when God invites us over for this end-time marriage banquet of the Lamb where God is playing Abraham's part. Now, just on the flip side of it, there are two instances in the Bible where we are told as believers to refuse to practice hospitality. In 1 Corinthians 5, 11 to 13, we saw this in the last couple of weeks, we are to not sit down at table, not invite anyone over who continues on ongoingly in sin and yet says they're a Christian. And in 2 John verses 10 and 11, it says that we are to refuse hospitality to false teachers. Now, we're not doing that um, just to be mean. We're doing that because the foremost mark of Christianity is that we're family. God the Son came to earth, died on a cross for our sins, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven. And all who profess faith in him are sons of God. We have a father. We are family. And what's the foremost thing that family does together? We eat together. And what we want to tell people who are claiming to be Christian and yet teaching falsely about central things in the Bible or continuing in ongoing unrepentant sin is we want to say to them, you're lying about your confession you are not a part of the family. We refuse to eat with you in the hopes that you might repent and come back. That's why hospitality is such a big deal. Because at the center heart of what we are is we're family. And so one thing that a family does is practice hospitality. So what I want to do with that teaching on hospitality is apply it to Sunday morning in the next few minutes, this week, and then next week, apply it to your homes. So what I want you to start thinking about is, okay, got this model of hospitality in Genesis 18. This motivation, this picture of crazy, go beyond the pale. I mean, just 
Crazy hospitality. Isn't this nuts what Abraham does? That's our model. How do I do that on Sunday morning? What can I do to implement this when I come here on Sunday morning? That's what we're going to do the next few minutes and then next week. Okay, how can I take Genesis 18 home? How can I use my home for this kind of hospitality? One of the things that marked the early church was their hospitality. One of the pagan Romans said this of the Christians, Indeed, was there ever a visitor in your midst that did not proclaim the magnificent character of your hospitality? The early church used hospitality as its main place of discipleship. Over a meal, they would teach the truth of Christ and how to grow up in Christ. It was a great model for children growing up of how to use hospitality. Hospitality was, as we see in Acts 2, the foremost tool for evangelism. We are about to move into a new building. Do you know how easy it will be for you to invite people to it? They're going to want to come and see it. It might even not be the right motives. That building is being well prepared. It looks great. We're going to set it up really nice. It is such a prime time for evangelism. For an invitation of your lost friends and families and coworkers and students and whatever. Hey, we got a new building. It's Christmas. You, you pretty much have to come to church. That's how I would say it. And they'll come. And we're going to preach the gospel. There's a... Well, I'll do that one next week. So, we have this outstanding example of hospitality. Let, let me just give some practicals here. On Sunday morning, we have some formal planned ways that we practice hospitality. Let's talk about those first. We have ushers and we have greeters. And we have people at the door who greet you when they come in. And then we have ushers stationed at the back of the sanctuary to help you get seated, to take care of your needs, and to do protection. At our new building, those needs are going to increase. We need more hushers, ushers, and we need more greeters. We will have, we have one entry point here, right? We keep that door locked. We have one entry point here. We only need one greeter and a few ushers. At our new building, there will be two to three entrances that we need manned so that we can greet people hospitably and open the door and give them a warm welcome with a smile. And then we're actually going to need ushers who help people find seats. Need more of them. So one way to put Genesis 18 in practice is sign up to be an usher and a greeter. We need, we need them. And do so with this kind of attitude. Now don't... It, it is nine in the morning... And a loud greeting in the morning, it says in Proverbs, is taken as a curse. So be careful. Don't have too much caffeine before you do this. You don't want to, hey, good morning! We don't want that kind of stuff. We don't want to scare people. We want to do it appropriately. We need more ushers and greeters Sunday morning. Kind of planned, formal. On Sunday morning, sometimes we have meals together. We have women's service teams who 
do a great job setting up and getting all the food. We're going to carry that over a new building, and we have much better facilities to use it, don't we? Can you imagine how much better of hospitality we can do over there? If you're a gal and you want to get on one of these women's service teams, you can do it. But I want to encourage you, go this extra mile here. Look at this kind of hospitality and try to figure out, how can I do this better? How can I serve my church family and our visitors better? Formal and planned. We have other things. We have annual baptism service. Just, I, I just want you to get in the mind, of how can I take Genesis 18 to the annual baptism service? How can we do that even more hospitably? Now, we have other ways that we'll talk about that our church does hospitality, but we'll do that next week. We'll have dinners for six and small groups and so on. One other thing. No, no, we'll get there. All right, so that's the formal and planned. Now the informal and unplanned. I want to go start at the important but not most important down to the most important way to practice Genesis 18 kind of hospitality on a Sunday morning. You should be warmly greeting people here on Sunday morning. I would encourage you to get here earlier so you can do so. Get here 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes early so that you can warmly greet each other. That's important. We want to practice hospitality amongst our brothers and sisters. And then, so that you can make it a priority. Now, each of you has to take this upon yourself. Introverts are not excluded from this. Because you know better how to appropriately uh, welcome somebody who's like you. Guys like me aren't uh, that helpful to other introverts who come. It's, a, it's your job to look for visitors before the service starts and greet them like Abraham would have, warmly, kindly. See if there's any needs they have. <clears throat> And so you should take it upon yourself to introduce you to yourself to somebody you don't know. That's all of our jobs. You know how sad it would be for a visitor to show up here and not be warmly welcomed? I think on the whole we do that pretty well, but I have heard from a visitor or two who wasn't welcomed well. That, to me, <clears throat> is a lie of what we believe the gospel is. The gospel is anything if not warmly welcoming. Second, just a step up from that conversation beyond a warm welcome where you take it upon yourself to not only warmly greet but to engage somebody in a conversation about how their week was about how they're doing about things that you know you're interested in in their lives about what you could pray for them I would encourage you in this one to branch out beyond your regular relationships. Now, it is true and right that each of you has a smaller group of people that you know here at Pine Grove better. You have an island of friendships that is small, two or three or five or whatever. You sit next to them, you look for them, you touch base with them every time you're together. That's great. Keep doing that. But don't forget on your island... There are people in the ocean wanting some relationship. There are people out there who don't have an island. 
They don't have the friendships you have. They come here on Sunday morning and they're lonely. And I want to encourage you to go outside of it. Sit someplace different. Sit someplace different. Engage somebody you don't normally engage with. James warns us to take care not to show favoritism. If you're only talking to people who are just like you at your season of life. So that's the second. So you have warm greeting and engaging in conversation. Third, and this uh, gets down to probably the most important thing you could do from a Sunday morning. Invite somebody out or over for lunch. This is especially needful of visitors. It's your job. I don't have any other way to say it. It is your job to look for a visitor and invite him or her or they, even if they got a whole bunch of family, to invite them out or over for a meal. You might even team up to do it. I just think if a visitor has been here for two times and has not had an invitation out for lunch, we are doing something wrong. Can you imagine Abraham, what he was like at his Sunday morning service? Just think, let's say you had to move from Rhinelander to a new area. I'll do us. We went from Wisconsin, North Carolina for seminary. It took us two years to find a church. In those two years, as we visited all those churches, we did not receive one invitation out for lunch. In the South, they are very hospitable. They're very friendly initially, but that's about as far as it goes, especially when you're from the North and a Yankee and have black children. And I'm being serious. It was absolute racism. The white church wouldn't accept it because we had black kids. The black kids church wouldn't accept it because we had white kids. <clears throat> they were absolutely inhospitable until we found a church that did that. Can you imagine being a visitor here for two or three weeks, new to this place? You might receive a warm greeting, but nobody asks you over for a meal. When at the center heartbeat of Christianity is this great warm hospitality. Every time God meets with his people, there's a meal involved where he serves us. It's our job. It's your job. Don't wait for somebody else to do it. You have nothing better to do. I mean that totally. There is nothing more important. Now, I know seasons of life are sometimes where it just isn't going to be as able as other times. Obviously, if you're sick, you're not going to do it. I know sometimes you've had a very long week and the last thing you want to do is have somebody over on Sunday. I just don't think that's an excuse. Just we got to think about the other people. They come here, they're a visitor, we're going to have a whole bunch at our new building. It's, it's your job. So what I want you to do with this sermon is I want you to go home, if you're a single, and figure this out. How am I going to be more hospitable on a Sunday morning? If you're a couple... How am I going to be more hospitable to the families in our church, to the visitors in our church? How are we going to do this? What plans are we going to make to invite people over? <clears throat> and, and Remember, Abraham, he was eager to do it. He was quick to do it. He focused on their needs. He did it for strangers. He over-delivered. He took care of all of the details. He walked into the car. 
As I said before, <clears throat> with moving to a new building, there is incredible opportunity for invitation. Offer to pick them up. Offer to meet them for breakfast and bring them and get them seated. Walk with them to the car after, take them for lunch. And this is a ministry where there is no special training needed. You don't have to have any special gifting. Right? If you're not good at cooking, um, Triggs makes wonderful meals that you can take home in boxes. There's restaurants all over our area. Needing business. <clears throat> Make this a part of your family budget, your personal budget, hospitality. Because if you budget for it, you'll do it. <clears throat> you don't need to be asked to do this. You don't need to be on a committee to do this. This is just somebody, something that you as an individual have to take initiative in your own life or as a family to do it. And then let's keep Genesis 18 in mind as we do so. All right, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I pray, praise you for this example of Abraham's hospitality. Pray that you would not let us leave here without acting on this. Help us to do it right now after the service. Help us to greet our visitors warmly and appropriately. To take it upon ourselves to practice Abraham-like hospitality, especially in inviting them out for meals. And so, God, please help your people to improve at this. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the charge is this. Invite somebody out to lunch. All right? That's the charge. Or dinner. Right. Practice right now. Don't wait. It's immediately applicable. Invite somebody out for lunch. Now, may God... May our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct your ways. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all men, just as he has for you in Christ. And may he establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. And amen. God bless you. I love you. Have a great week in the Lord.